0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, as always, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? Now, today, Drew and I, we're continuing on through the Dresden Files. We're jumping now into book 15 with Skin Game. I'm sure, Drew, that you've got a nice and juicy recap cooked up and prepared for us, so let's dig in. Drew, for lack of a better term, uh, give me the skinny. <laughs> skin game opens with harry still living on demon reach
1: as he cannot safely leave without the parasite in his head killing him however mab arrives on the shore and commands him to come with her she has a job for him and she has a way to temporarily stall the parasite she gives harry an earring that blocks the pain and takes him to the hard rock hotel where they meet none other than nicodemus leader of the denarians mab gives harry to nicodemus as part of a debt she owes him and he plans to use Harry to break into the vault of Hades in the Underworld. Harry recruits Murphy to watch his back during the job, and they meet the rest of the team, including none other than Binder and a warlock named Hannah Asher. The first step in the plan is to recruit Anna Valmont as well, which Harry does, and then they track down a financial advisor for the shapeshifter Goodman Gray to get a blood sample from. As Harry tries to protect the advisor, They're attacked by Tessa and some ghouls. Harry defeats them, but Tessa manages to kill the man anyway. Next, Harry learns that what they're after is actually the Holy Grail, and they discover that Butters has been magically spying on Harry. With Binder's demons and the evil Bigfoot Gnosqua, not sure I pronounced that right, uh, chasing him, Butters flees, and Harry engineers his escape to the Carpenter's house. However, Nicodemus heads them off, and a showdown occurs on the threshold of their property. Nicodemus tricks Murphy into attacking him with Phidolacchus, destroying the Holy Sword, and Uriel grants Michael his grace to drive off the denarians and come out of retirement. Harry heads back to work the next day, now with Michael as his backup, as Murphy is wounded and sent to the hospital. They launch the operation, breaking into Marconi's Capristi building and into the vault there, Tessa attacks again, but is driven off, and the crew makes it into the Never-Never and Never, to the gates of the Underworld. First, Hannah disables the Gate of Fire, and Harry gets them through the Gate of Ice, but at the Gate of Blood, Nicodemus reveals that one of them must die to proceed. After a standoff, Nicodemus kills his own daughter, the Denarian Deirdre, and they head on in to Hades' vault. Harry and Anna find the Grail, as well as four other holy artifacts, and Hades stops time to reveal to Harry that the whole thing was a setup. Harry works to save the artifacts from Nicodemus, but Nicodemus gets the grail and betrays them. With the revelation that Hannah has become the host of Lachiel, and the Ganasqua the host of Ursiel, Harry and Michael fight them off, with the unforeseen help of Goodman Grey, whom Harry actually hired before Nicodemus could. They escape the Underworld, leaving Hannah and the Gnosqua dead, but Nicodemus discovers Harry is a father and heads to the Carpenters to kill Maggie. Harry and Butters try to hold out, but it's a losing fight, until Butters makes a heroic stand, revives the dead sword of Fidilacius, and nearly kills Nicodemus with a lightsaber. In the end, Michael retires again and Harry and Molly confront Mab and Marconi about the setup, ensuring Binder and Anna will be spared any retribution for being part of the heist. Nicodemus is left stranded and disgraced without support, and Harry finally gives birth to the Parasite, who is, in fact, another spirit like Bob, born from Lashiel and Harry. Boom. So, so what, what do we think about Skin Game, Rob?
0: I loved it. I loved it. This is a solid 9.5 out of 10 for me. How about you? Um... Hmm. Not that no. high
1: rating. 9.0.
0: Sorry, I'll take that back. 9.0, actually. I just realized <laughs> I, oh, I I rate a lot of Sanderson's that high. Is yeah. 9. <laughs>
1: uh, this, mm, like I said with uh, Cold Days before this, like on a, on a structural level, on a technical level, this might be the best written book so far. Okay. Uh, I think Butcher did a great job writing a fun heist story. He hits all the points, all all the the double crosses you need, you know, all yeah, the, the tricks and and revelations and and uh, you know, this is this is the kind of thing that I finished reading this and I was like, man, you know, I, I kind of want to go back and watch Ocean's Eleven again.
0: <laughs> they you they know? actually make a few Ocean's Eleven references. In uh,
1: they they absolutely do. Yeah, and uh, Harry would though, of course he would. And and so it, it was a fun story. Um, I I'm glad. Uh, I think you know, like. Even though I didn't like changes, you know, I, I said that I, I really needed the books after changes to be better. And I think they have been better. Uh, it's, it's been back to about the, the strength of books like turncoat and small favor and proven guilty, um, uh, that, that have you know, kept me reading.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: Um, it's yeah. Like this was a good book.
0: Yeah. Yeah, call me crazy. I gather, uh, I gather from a few of our Discord discussions, though, with the rest of the gang, that uh, Butcher's bit of let's call it dated humor continues to baffle you a bit.
1: Uh, let's yes, talk. yes. Um,
0: Parkour.
1: No. No. That was that. Like the moment we we got Harry saying that in chapter one, I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" And then it was a full book thing, and I was ugh. I just rolled my eyes. Every is that bad, time. eh? I
0: didn't particularly. It didn't really make me laugh at all. It was like kind of like the the single forceful exhalation out of the nostril once, and then after it, it just kind of confused me. It definitely didn't land as far as a as a consistent joke, but I wouldn't say it really bothered me either. Um, <laughs> there, it, it was kind of confusing though. I I did actually at one point stop to write down why is he shouting parkour? Oh. I, I, at what point in the in the cultural it's, movement of parkour did shouting it out become a thing uh when the
1: office did it on an oh. episode in, like oh uh, you're, talking the, okay, you're talking okay you
0: i know exactly the, the gift yeah. that i should be thinking of right yeah, now yeah there's
1: a cold open in an episode of the office where um michael and dwight and and andy are running around the office doing like really bad jumps and gotcha. rolls and things yelling parkour and hardcore I, I, I have, parkour
0: yeah, i'm thinking of the one uh yeah okay with yeah steve carell but um i I even i I wasn't thinking of that at the moment so i even took up my phone one one step further to write down and saying this would be like you and i drew in the middle and just going podcasting you know it it, it doesn't (laughs) it didn't i don't know it just didn't land for me i get that that it's okay it's a reference now just didn't quite understand it okay all right still Mm -hmm. though yeah it didn't didn't really land for me i was just like why why this is a lot of the kind of humor that i dislike in a lot of other authors and so i definitely don't want to pretend that i mm-hmm. like it here
1: yeah and you know it, it's it was definitely the thing that i disliked the most in this book
0: <laughs> parkour overall specifically? i
1: did yeah yeah like him <laughs> yelling parkour and and just such an constantly. aesthetic thing
0: was your biggest problem i love it that's actually I think, um, a good sign yeah no it.
1: that's it, it is a good sign for the book it's a it's a well-written well-constructed book uh it has strong character arcs um Really good pacing in terms of, like I said, hitting the the story beats of a classic heist story, putting the crew together, you (laughs) know, having people working at cross purposes and like it, it, uh, Butcher, Butcher just did a good job on a craft level with this.
0: Yeah, I just want to point out, I got a, I just got a message from my mother just now saying, uh, sorry. <laughs> she heard me saying, podcasting, really loud. And she thought I was trying to yell upstairs saying, sorry, was, you're being kind of loud. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it was a, it was a reference. Um, That's funny. Uh, continuing on with what you were just saying, though, I love how in terms of the scale of, our, the scale of our conflict, things are still getting bigger and better. I cannot tell you how stoked and more importantly, um, a point in Butcher's favor, how right it felt when I heard that we were going to rob Hades himself. Like, I got this really stupid smile on my face, like, oh Butcher, you are still making the series bigger and better, aren't you? That was so ballsy and I like it. I respect it. I've had enough trust previously established in Butcher's ability to like, you know, dip into folklore, and it made me excited on the simple fact that Butcher was the one approaching Hades here. So that that pulled me out enough to want to make a note on it. It wasn't just the excitement of Hades himself coming into the into the stage so much that I was gonna get to watch Butcher's interpretation. Of Hades, it was pretty cool to me.
1: Yeah, um, I, I got to say, it's funny you you use the term "bigger" twice there to describe this book because one of the things I liked about this was how he actually pulled the scale down. Um, after after we get uh, you know cold days where it's all about the. The, the alien threat of the outsiders and the massive war right. beyond the outer gates and and this oh, that's just a good point with the unbelievably high stakes and then this one it's like no, no this is a petty game between a couple of petty individuals who are angry at each other for getting double-crossed in the past yeah i and suppose like, i
0: mean he's expanding the universe i just wasn't aware yeah. hades was a thing but you're right in terms of like mm-hmm. the the scale of that threat No, the outsiders and the and the fairy mother should have been like yeah
1: up there yeah for sure yeah, and so I enjoyed that he kind of like pulled it back uh because in in terms of crafting a, a long running series like this, you know this was something I brought up as a concern much earlier in the series how um like the the power creep um, mm-hmm. and, and how you you start reaching a point where you get like Dragon Ball Z syndrome where you just have to keep finding bigger and more powerful threats. And and ult- ultimately, yeah, it we ends up being about this recently. Absurd, you know. It, it's yeah. it 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 loses the the weight because you know that just eventually. All right, well, we defeated this guy, and now the next guy is going to have a power level a thousand higher than that, and then yep. and then it's going to be ten thousand higher, and then it's going to be a hundred thousand, and a million, and the, and so on and so forth ad nauseum. And uh, and I felt like Butcher was kind of starting to do that through the through like maybe. 7 or 8 books and then and then has started varying things since then and and pulling the story back letting the story breathe and and letting the existing antagonists be antagonists instead of having to constantly one up
0: the threat that's a very good point and with with Nicodemus coming back i was super so like stoked to see that i yeah. was like yes this guy has to be my favorite villain in the series so far Hmm.
1: Um. Yeah, I generally do like the books with the Denarians um, a lot, uh, mostly because we're also going to get great Michael stuff, and we're going to get, you know, Uriel. Yeah, right we are. Yeah, we um, are. But, but yeah, uh, do you have any other style notes?
0: Um, I'm still a tiny bit exasperated with Butcher's kind of the hand-wavy approach to just certain aspects of the magic, not as a whole. Just my specific issue here is with this love child that Harry supposedly has now with Lachiel. Um, Uh So because the shadow-slash-imprint of Lachiel sacrificed herself to save Harry previously, that counts as, and I quote, an act of love, and spawned some sort of brainchild combination of the two now. I just wrote down, what the f***? Like, <laughs> Butcher just, I think, honestly, just needed Harry to have some sort of spirit child, or as well as a mortal mortal child, just for reasons that we're going to find later, I guess. And he went back through what he's written, and it just seems to me like this was the best he could come up with. I just wrote, what are we doing at this point? That just seemed a little hand-wavy to me, that brainchild explanation. I, j- it, I don't know. It was a little too soft, even for this series, in terms of its magic. How about you? I just, I just
1: rolled with it. I yeah. just rolled with the podcast. I should have now. to do was, that at this point. I was like, They're... "Yeah, all right."
0: <laughs> <laughs> I really need to stop just and just roll with it at times. I do, I do recognize that I'm not going to sit here and go, "What? This 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 specifically makes it a worse book?" No, not at all. Sure, yeah. Um, uh, my oh,
1: my last oh, point, um, and this is kind of a, a thematic thing, but it, but it comes into like the mechanics of the story he's telling, and I'm. Uh, uh, I think it's just gonna be an ongoing thing. And and that is how the the mantle of the winter night is affecting Harry. And thematically I'm I'm not sure I think it aligns because so much of this, you know, the idea of, of the winter and summer courts, the the seely and Unseelie courts and and how winter is like the cold logical, you know, like dark Side And then summer is the emotional, irrational, like, you know, the, and, and that played in, uh, in a big part at the end of cold days, how Harry was able to manipulate, um, you know, uh, uh, like Lily and fix and, you know, because they have this summer nature, this Sealy court nature that predisposes them to like more wild emotions and irrational thinking. But then the mantle of the winter night, Harry describes as violent. It doesn't think it's pure instinct, feeling emotion. And when it's inside you, if you let you or your emotions control you, you know, and I'm like, why does this make sense for the winter court who are supposed to be the cold, rational, logical ones that the mantle of the winter night turns you into an irrational emotional beast?
0: Interesting. You would think that, Okay. You would think that would fit along more with like summer life, yeah, vibrancy, yeah. Um, power, and,
1: and it's it's very clearly a a, a thing that Butcher is going to be playing with. I mean, we uh, the short episode we're doing for um, for the month of December is Cold Case, uh, which is a Molly point of view after she takes up the mantle of the Winter Lady, and she's dealing with this same like carnal bestial emotional desire that's like kind of trying to overwhelm her and and take away her humanity. And I'm like, I I just I I'm having a hard time getting those two things to jive with the overarching thematic idea of winter versus summer.
0: I can see that. I hadn't thought about it yet. But Mm -hmm. you definitely have a valid point. Like what I what, if any, would be the Converse uh effects of of being becoming the summer night or the summer lady. Like, does that does that rain you yeah. in a little bit, or does it just come with its own kind of? Right. Like, irrational... I could
1: I could see some sort of a, a thing, you know, where where like you just become so cold and emotionless that you have no moral compass anymore, you know, and and then you could like turn into Lloyd Slate like that. But yeah. but going this route, it it it's just it's not quite sitting right with me. Mm. So
0: yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Maybe just inter- it, it it inverses. You know, it acts uh, directly in opposition to your current mind state. Maybe if you're a nice person, it'll try and turn you evil. Or maybe if you're naturally a piece of shit, like Lloyd Slate, maybe it tried to give him some good. No, I'm just I'm really reaching. <laughs> it. No, let's yeah, not take that as a prediction <laughs> at all. But um, my la- my own last style point is that Butcher seems to have a habit still of of trying to hide certain things in a, in a moment where it's still. It's still really obvious what's actually going on. We spend a whole chapter yeah. chasing down Waldo Butters after he escapes miraculously several times <clears throat> with the help of some vague orange-colored lights, and it's not exactly a surprise when it's revealed to be Bob. Why are we treating it like it's a mystery for this entire chase when that da- that Bob is with him? Like, what else could these glowing orange lights possibly be? Yeah, yeah. We're um, fifth, this is, this fifteen books in at this point. Like we're not going to be sitting here going, "Oh, I wonder what that is."
1: Yeah, I'm not going to say that he like nailed all the twists and and revelations in this book. Um, there were some
0: great ones though. Uh, there were some great ones. I'm not gonna. Yeah.
1: I the my favorite one was definitely Hades. You know. Yeah. Like like I I knew I I fully expected that Hannah was going to be a Denarian. I didn't. I admit I did really? not expect the the Gnosqua to be a Denarian. That was I was like, oh dang, all right. Um, I expected Goodman Gray to be on Harry's side. Like it's in his freaking name. Come on. Like
0: I thought he was going to switch at the last second. And, and yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, he all. Oh, belonged, and that was the it? other thing. Like
1: it was not a surprise in any way that he was a Nagloshi. Like. I, I assumed that from the moment he got on screen and was described as a shapeshifter, I was like, "Oh, he's a Nagloshi, okay? He's a Skinwalker."
0: Oh, you see, I just thought he was really, really good. Like, <laughs> listens to wind, or maybe he was older than listens to wind. You know? No, yeah, huh.
1: yeah, that was literally the first thing I thought. When, oh man, when we I just figured a Nagloshi would have
0: set off Harry, all of Harry's danger senses immediately. I didn't even consider Nagloshi myself. That was huge and a surprise to me. Huh, a huge yeah. surprise! I can't even speak. My God. <laughs> um,
1: but. But I still enjoyed the book like, you know, it's yes. the the requisite twists were there, whether or not they all landed like it's you know,
0: how yeah. did you feel, though, about spoking our momentum in the middle of this big climactic scene at the end where Goodman Gray comes back and he's covered in supposedly Velmont's blood and then it all turns around and, and all the, the, the Denarians make themselves known and everything turns around on Harry and Michael. It's a super tense moment. And then we find out Goodman Gray is actually on his side. But we spend this whole, this long explanation stop. Let's reverse and let's go back. And this and, and we go back to Harry's uh, experience of hiring Goodman Gray in the first place. Did you feel like that screwed with the momentum of this scene at all? Because it kind of took me out a little bit.
1: No, and in fact, I thought this, this is one thing that was really reminiscent of Ocean's Eleven. Uh, like this felt like a movie, like a, you know, record scratch Here's actually how we did it, how we pulled it off, like exactly in Ocean's Eleven, where during the middle, like during the midst of the climax, they like redo a lot of the like montage sequence of them getting ready for the heist and show what they actually did. Yeah, yeah. And so I just, I thought it was like just another, another thing that Butcher was doing to hit the, the story beats in a, in what has become the trope of a heist movie.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I wasn't looking at it too much in the in the the scope of the actual genre of yeah. heist. So mm-hmm. that that does I do feel a little better. Yeah, it, it. Yeah, I was a little taken out in the moment, but with a little bit of context or with conversations like these ones, you know, you. you yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I'm ready to go into our characters. I don't have anything left about style. How about you?
1: Um. No, I'm I'm ready to do characters
0: as well. Good. Okay. We're jumping into Harry. As much as I'm still totally invested in Harry, all all the way, I've got to say his vulnerability still remains a little frustratingly static at this point. There always just seems to me there's to be somebody in danger all the time. Maggie or Thomas... Or Karen, on occasion, that adds to Harry's troubles and severely limits him in his options. In this case, Harry's, like, he's outright refusing Mab in the beginning. He's, I'm not doing this, I'm not aiding Nicodemus, I don't care what it is or what it's for or what's at stake, until Mab tells him, well, you kind of need my help, because if you don't get it, the parasite's gonna hunt down everybody you love after after you die, starting with Maggie. So now Harry needs her help. And I, su- I suppose I can see that 15 books into a series with Butcher, it's-, it's getting probably, you know, a little more difficult to find plausible threats to make the protagonist need to reach for higher and higher things. But I'm starting to grow jaded on this whole Thomas is in danger. Oh! Maggie's in danger. Oh, Susan or Murphy was in danger. It's a, there's plenty of larger world-threatening things happening at this point in the series. It gets a little frustrating just on occasion for me here and there to see our protagonist constantly being neutered or, or having his options limited because someone close to him is always in immediate danger and it's constantly distracting him. The great character building material that we had like, along these lines, that was great. I think for like rogue vampires, or dark sorcerers running amok, but the chain is, it's growing a little heavier and heavier, as the fate of the world looms now, you know? This rift between overall world-ending threat, and somebody close to me needs my help, it's just growing wider and wider, and is tearing Harry apart, and it just leaves him so vulnerable, and it's a constant recurring beat. How do you feel?
1: Uh, I think you're right. Um, this is, I mean, this is
0: part of why, like, I just don't
1: care about Harry that much. (laughs) Like, uh, it was a major complaint I had early on in the series where Harry was a static character. Like he just Harry was Harry for the first like four books, and he didn't really change at all. And then and then there was a noticeable shift in in what the series was doing, and Harry started getting developed like a main character. I I mean I still think he's a pretty bland character, but he was changing.
0: I disagree. And,
1: and now I feel like he's kind of gotten stuck again. Where, um, like, look, we're 15 friggin' books into a series. Uh, there's 17 published. As far as I know, there are going to be, like, at least five or six more to come.
0: I think like, it's a trilogy still, just three more, right? Uh, I think there's t- supposed to be, like, two or three
1: more, and then a final big trilogy.
0: Oh. um, ah.
1: I'm not 100% certain on that. I'm sh- sure some of our much, much more uh hardcore Dresden listeners uh will be happy to correct
0: yeah, in about Either three or four or weeks, we're us. gonna get Discord messages.
1: Yeah, um, but but it feels to me a little bit like Butcher has realized he needs to tread a little bit of water with Harry so that he can move the bigger events into place to set up the end of the series, and and so Harry doesn't have much to do as a character right now. Like oh, I told, the, I told... the biggest the biggest thing he's been dealing with uh, as a a character beat was his relationship with Maggie, where Mm -hmm. he's been afraid of being Maggie's father. And we finally get him like accepting his role as a father in this book. But that was like, that took him like four books to get through, you know, like a, whereas some of the, some of the changes in him earlier in the series, he had a single book character arc that he like fundamentally changed as a person over the course of 400 pages here it took like 1200 pages for him to change and make this decision uh it, and and several years in in world because you know he gets basically shuffled off into onto demon island because he can't do anything with the 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 parasite in his head you know and so it it, it feels a lot like butcher realized that the pace of his character arc was moving too fast for the pace of the series overall and the plot that he's building with, with the outsiders and, and the Fomor and, and uh, all these disparate elements of the, uh, the accords coming together and Marconi yeah. being built up as more of a direct antagonist now. And like, and so he needed to, to slow down Harry's pace of change, his pace of development in order to let the story catch up.
0: Yeah, I feel a lot of, uh, I feel very similarly about his relationship with Karen Murphy. <clears throat> I've complained about it quite a bit. I've, I've, I was angry at the end of book eight. I was angry at the end of a few other books when I thought things are finally, oh my God, finally it's going to happen. And then just, it didn't. I'm, I don't care anymore now about Harry and his relationship <laughs> with Karen Murphy. I don't, I really don't care anymore. Neither of them um, have each other on the list of priorities and in, for in, major reasons why I'm invested in them. They are separate characters a lot, even though they are best of friends. Um, with with Harry, with his relationship with Molly, you're right, it took, it's taken years for Harry to even come to the decision that he's going to have to work on this, you know? Um, I have a quote here. I put the car in park and eyed the house nervously. I hadn't been there since my last trip to Chicago a year before. I stopped by when I had been pretty sure no one was home, like a big old coward, to collect my dog Mouse for a secret mission. Doing so had permitted me to craftily dodge my first meeting with my daughter, since I'd carried her from the blood-soaked temple at Chichen Itza. There's just something about little moments like this, though. I'm still stopping to write down and say, Drew, are you, are you, are you like, even with this kind of intimate look at this, this man under the microscope, unable to face his first meeting with his daughter, so he's just showing up in the middle of the night to do that, you're still not really finding reasons to, you're not, like, finding grounding in Harry Dresden as a character? So I—I I mean,
1: I've been on the record before. the The strongest bits of Harry's character are when he's stepping into a father role,
0: right? But this still doesn't uh,
1: and and finish it for you. No, I mean, like that—that's not enough for me to mm-hmm. to care because that's such a small part of what the story is. Um, like I—I I really liked Proven Guilty because it was all about that whole book was all about car- uh, uh, Harry being a father figure for Molly. And it was all about like stepping up and taking that role. I loved that book. That was probably the one book where I was like, yes, I am into Harry Dresden as a character in this book. Mm. Um, And, and here, like I liked the bits with Maggie. I, I liked that part of it, but it was just kind of lost in the mix. Uh, overall. We only really get a couple of scenes. One of them I admit is going to be in my favorites. Sweet. Uh, But like, yeah, it, it, it just, I think Harry's a much more interesting character in relation to those around him than in and of himself. And that's where, where I struggle to connect with him as a character. Whereas, Mm. you know, my favorite character of all time, Kane, he is a character who is fascinating in and of himself. It is it is his interior landscape that makes him interesting to me, mm. and Harry that is just not the case.
0: <laughs> I, I have to say I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, if if peace talks kind of does anything for you on this front. Okay, I really do. Um, um, yeah, let's let's talk about Murphy though, unless you have more to
1: say about Harry.
0: Uh, let's see here. Oh yeah, let's talk about okay, let's talk about Murphy. Yeah, I am done with Harry. Um, my girl, Karen tried so hard. I love you. I do, but I'm, I'm kind of glad in some in some sort of odd way that Murphy managed to break Fidulacius. It, it, it goes to speak more towards Karen herself as a unique individual, I think, it, that she doesn't quite line up with the intent of that sword all the way when it comes right down to that moment, or perhaps maybe just in this moment. Despite how many areas in common that Fidulacius and, and Murphy might actually have, you know, uh, I did like that there was enough to... Karen as a unique individual that there was still this moment of um, dissonance so it, I, I did like it even though it was heartbreaking to watch
1: yeah yeah um, so I have to admit I was very surprised that Murphy didn't die in this book really I thought I thought all the warning flags were getting waved that she was gonna die Oh, I know
0: why you're about to say go okay. And, I'm putting it you know, together now. Go ahead. There
1: were there were so many things uh so many things, you know, the, the conversations early on about how Nicodemus is gonna double cross them, how she's specifically like not really under his his uh protection as as part of the gang because they made that very clear, Nicodemus didn't, they? didn't directly hire her and like and then, and then we get to this scene, and I was like, "Oh, Murphy's gonna die right now. Murphy's gonna die right now." And then she didn't die. And then, uh, and then we get to the end of the book, and and she made it out. And on top of that, she made it out. And Harry and Murphy like finally are getting together. And now I'm even more certain she's gonna die soon.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> of
1: oh, well, like, okay. there's. It's too good. I. I there have been so many red flags waving.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Like
1: I, I don't know. I don't know when it's gonna be, but I'm certain she's gonna die.
0: I did not pick up on any of that at all, which is why I just went, "Oh, I can see why you're putting that together now." Yeah, no, I, I didn't. I no flags were spotted by me. So if this is if you nail this one, I will. I will admit and said that went <laughs> way over my head.
1: Um, yeah, I. But- mean, I I really did think it was going to be in this book, though. Like, mm-hmm. I I thought she was going to get killed by
0: Nicodemus. Yeah, I loved everything about who Karen was in this book. Uh, who she was, her unfailing reserve to defend her friends and her city, this unwavering courage in the face of bigger and badder monsters like Nicodemus and the Janosqua Like her fall after Nicodemus injured her and this the complications it's going to bring about her sense of identity and capability, because you know how much stock Karen Murphy places in in the ability of being a tough little badass. Even if, like, this book was great for, for her character, even if she was done dirty. And no pun intended was, no pun was intended there, I promise. All of her glory and changes is a bit of a dimension that was needed for her, in this book particularly. I'm, I'm glad she's going to continue changing. Or at least it looks like her path is taking her to new places, so. Um, but I will admit that I had a prediction that came about completely incorrect. Ooh. My prediction... About a quarter of the way through this book. Well, no, because I don't think Fidelacius was destroyed at this point. But as soon as Fidelacius was destroyed, uh, I thought, okay, so Karen herself is going to reforge the weapon. I wrote, wrote, um, imagine Fidelacius as a carbine, like a P ninety of faith. That's what I thought this was going, Um, and I Hmm. kept remembering Harry's his his wizard sight of Karen Murphy as this avenging angel, this beautiful figure, and so I thought she's totally going to reforge this. But my man butters. <laughs> that was equally awesome. Yeah, I was going
1: to say, uh, that was one twist that, again, like I saw coming. Uh, there was so much attention to the detail that the hilt of it flew into the yard. It flew into the protection of the angels. They recovered the hilt. I was like, that the sword's not going anywhere. Like That's coming back. <laughs> and then Harry and Michael have the talk where Michael's like, you keep fixating on the wrong word you know it's it's yeah. not the sword that's important it's yeah. the faith and i was like yep yeah, yep yeah, all right you know uh i didn't know who was going to i definitely didn't expect butters um no i did not but it it makes i mean it makes sense uh i in fact i had a like it, it would probably be a a runner up scene like an honorable mention um with harry and butters at the beginning of the book uh where, um...
0: Oh, wait. Yeah,
1: I think... Uh, I think Is it... Yeah, like, he, he kind Butters of... Butters
0: threat to punch him?
1: Yeah, You know, when Butters leaves, and he oh. leaves Harry, and he, and he thinks he looked at least as tired as I felt, and I could see how afraid he was, and how the fear had worn him down. He had doubts, which, in this world, was only smart. He had doubts about me, that hurt, but they were understandable, maybe even smart. And he'd been upfront with me about it all, that had taken courage. If I truly had been turning into the monster he feared, by being honest with me about it, he would have just painted a huge target on his face. He'd done it anyway, which meant that he wasn't sure and he was willing to risk it. And most important, when I needed his help, he'd shown up and given it. Butters was good people. And he wasn't wrong. And as I was reading through that, uh, I just realized, like, so much about that is about butter. Butters doubting. Right? And then mm. at the end, it's about Butters having faith.
0: <clears throat> yeah, Michael. I think it was Michael that gives him that talks up Butters at one point too, saying he would never met another man that he, he hadn't thought with so much faith in making the future better or making a uh, a better next day. I forget exactly how it was, hmm. but
1: yeah, yeah. Um. So I I liked that. Like
0: I I mean.
1: Very typical butcher that it's like a literal lightsaber. Like I kinda rolled my eyes a little bit. Was at it that literal?
0: One. It was it was literal literal. It wasn't just a very Yeah, like he, he jokes about
1: how like there's gotta Harry be was... some copyright infringement going on. Oh,
0: really? I th- I thought that was yeah. because of Harry's rendition of you know,
1: I was oh okay. And and then he has a conversation with uh uh Uriel about Star Wars and and okay a, another honorable <laughs> mention that nearly made it into my top three. That's that's dope. This is dope. <laughs> yeah, although I'm gonna I'm gonna actually talk about that scene later on. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah, I'll as figure. an honorable mention. So. Cool.
0: Um we did all, we already kind of covered uh Goodman Gray, so anything else? Um
1: no, I don't have any anything else about uh about Goodman.
0: Yeah. Uh but how about Nick Nicodemus? Um uh, I mean no? I'm not sure
1: what there is to say. Uh, he's a, he's he's a great antagonist.
0: My, I, I mean, God, we got so much more of a look at the soul and the humanity that remains or doesn't of Nicodemus in this book than we've ever got. It like all okay, combined.
1: I, I will say, I liked I liked that final confrontation when he reveals he's like, I'm not working for the the fallen. The fallen are working for me. Yeah. Now, how much truth there was in that. I'm not sure, right? How much but he's in, lying in to the himself, but in the moment, it it really did feel like he was telling the truth, like because he was at this this crossroads, you know, where he he's about to truly consider Michael's offer. Um,
0: yeah, that moment, was and insane, and, and
1: it was like he found a truth inside of himself. Um,
0: there was, I think, a lot of organic humanity, a lot of raw. Just a lot of raw. That's the only way I can put it. And when 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 even Michael is saying, My God, man, like your own daughter? How could you? And then he confronts Harry with Old Testament. And I, you know, I was like, God, you know, this Nicodemus has such a presence, even when he's at his most vulnerable, you know, that this guy is just golden to read on every page he's on. And I feel that same way about Michael for entirely different reasons. So seeing them together in a confrontation like this at such a moment, it was just, I, I, I there was nothing else I could have possibly been paying attention to in this moment beside every word out of these, but these two, their they're mouths, you know, it was, I loved this scene that we're still talking on. It's great. Nice. Yeah. Um Um,
1: yeah, I don't I don't know if I really have many other character notes. I like Anna. I like Anna Valmont. Um I have uh I had one quote that I I thought just like really hit hit home. Um when you know when, when Harry's talking to her very early on and uh and he's like learning what she's been up to basically and uh, and how she's been like stealing files on different people and 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 he goes, since when have you been all savvy on the supernatural scene? <laughs> and she says, since monsters killed my two best friends. She yeah. shrugged a shoulder. I made it my business to learn. Like that that was such a simple moment, but I thought was was really heartfelt, really profound. I liked
0: that. It was a, it was a nice chat. I loved that verbal checkmate mm-hmm it was good um nothing about michael or you're just gonna be saving a lot of michael for your favorite scenes yeah yeah <laughs> um okay i don't want to i want to bring that particular scene up because that might step on your toes here um oh <laughs> let's see here okay he was michael was still both enjoyable and a little frustrating just at times i'd say 98 percent enjoyable two percent frustrating I just don't understand his insistence on wearing this incredibly unique and instantly recognizable armor on his excursion with Harry, trusting that faith will protect his family from Nicodemus and the blackened Denarians and all of Marcone's natural and supernatural assets combined in this world and the other. Like, there's tiny little details that are completely outshone by Michael's just moments of badass. And overall, he's hands down one of my favorite characters in this entire se- like, series. Um, I love having him around when everything seems to be going, pardon the expression, going to hell. Uh, But there there are small little moments like this. I'm like, you're kind of putting your family in a little unnecessary danger here when you could just change your outfit. So, I had to at least bring that up. It felt very Michael. I didn't have a problem with that. Oh, yeah. It definitely felt very Michael. Yeah. Yeah. But. like Anyway.
1: Just just one of those those faith (laughs) things.
0: Yeah. Miscellaneous, favorite scenes, predictions. Any miscellaneous points? Um, yeah. yeah.
1: Let's see here. I already talked about parkour. Um... Uh, a lot of very faint smiles in this book.
0: Really? I kind of want to pick up my copy and yeah. do it There were the
1: a bunch of times like, somebody smiled very faintly.
0: Because <laughs> I did both... I, again, I did both audio and uh, e-reader for this one, and I, I would definitely be interested in doing a few word searches, actually, especially for uh, the other ones, I was complaining about um, things happening, let's see here, what was the phrase that I was, that was really getting on my nerves, oh, the next best thing too, that was th- something I'd noticed again and again and again in the previous book, I believe, hmm, but um, yeah, as long as we're on miscellaneous points here, <clears throat> I loved one of our opening lines, it was still on the first page, for me it was on the very bottom of the first page in my e-reader, when you're stuck on an island in the middle of Lake Michigan and you're kind of limited in your choices of exactly what you can do to blow off steam, <clears throat> I'd gone with my usual option. I was running through long tunnels filled with demons and monsters and nightmares because it was easier than going to the gym. These little, these dry deliveries, and again, it may just be James Marster's delivery of these, of these lines, but it's just, I, I laughed out loud 40 seconds into this book, I think, which I, it's a great, it's a great sign. Um... And a huge indicator of why i like these books as much as i do
1: i hated the opening
0: <laughs> no <Nah. laughs> yeah this is I, I yeah go ahead
1: the first chapter of this book was as close as i have come to just plain putting the series down what <laughs> that wasn't like I, a, I was so annoyed by the parkour thing i was that, so annoyed
0: that was the harry murphy elevator scene for me and proving guilty oh my god yeah Um, but um okay one thing that struck you know stuck out to me is a little little sus in this book this may be a prediction I'm going into is a couple of disembodied voices that don't get any explanation did you pick up on those
1: okay I I need you I need to know which ones you're talking about because I feel like most of them were given explanations Mm -hmm.
0: okay we'll find out just how much I was paying attention then in this book Right here, um, this happens when Harry, for example, is waking up at Murphy's earlier in the book. Some sort of voice tells him to either like pay attention or, or tells him, you know, something something is here, idiot. I can't remember what exactly the wording was, but he definitely heard a voice that was reprimanding him as he was like t- coming to consciousness, and I don't recall ever getting an answer for that.
1: I thought it was his like his subconscious. Oh, talking like to the, him. The, it's the, trying the dark resident inside to... his brain. It was trying to get him to understand that uh he has like what the parasite is.
0: Hmm, okay. Later, Harry asks Michael if he can time travel or fix the past or something like that. I think there's something wonky going on there. Some Although time-
1: actually actually sorry. Um as I'm thinking about it in in hindsight with the book, it may actually have been the parasite talking to him, Ooh, telling him like that, that. And, that Anduriel was spying. Because we find oh. out at the end of the book about how Anduriel is the master of shadows.
0: Right, and can listen through any shadow, right?
1: Yeah, that may actually have been what it was. Was that it was the information from Lashiel telling him, you got to be smart about this. Wow. If you talk right now, you're going to give your plan away to Nicodemus.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. I like that. I really like that. I want have done this whole side, this whole tertiary quest with like season three of Red Versus Blue and Church goes back to tr- in time to try and change events and Blood Gulch, that kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, next one. <clears throat> okay. I have, I have a concern okay. about Mouse. My man, Mouse. Hey. As capable as in adorable, but obviously capable as he is. There's a moment where I feel like Michael and Harry give Mouse a little too much credit. In the f- At least from what I understand, in the face of increasing threats to their families. It's a moment where Harry is surprised by hearing Michael say he would love to see Nicodemus, and I quote, try to get at Maggie under all the protections that she has at the house. And then Harry goes, Yeah, but Michael, she's not always at the house. And Michael basically replies with, Yeah, but she's got Mouse with her when she doesn't. And Harry just goes, Oh, yeah, never mind, lol, she's safe for sure. I'm thinking, how strong is Mouse? I'm sorry, but at the Carpenter House, we're talking about a dozen guardian angels. Can Mouse really compete in that same kind of weight class? Because then we also have to accept that, I like, Nicodemus and everything he can pull together, including the Janosqua level of badass backup, together they wouldn't be able to take Mouse on an excursion, you know? Like, just how badass is this temple dog? So
1: I definitely have the impression that in Butcher's cosmology here, the the Guardian Temple Dog is basically a Guardian Angel.
0: Okay, just like a, like, a different species yeah. of Guardian Angel. Because I think yeah. if he was like Janosqua level badass. I didn't think that he was like Janosqua plus Nicodemus plus a bunch of Denarian backup badass. You know? Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I don't, I don't know. Like, I can't, I can't talk about like relative.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to do the Dragon Ball Z thing right like, now. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I'm trying to compare yeah, yeah. power
1: levels. But but I I do have the impression that mouse would be extremely rough for a Denarian to get through. Like,
0: mm-hmm. Oh, tough. Uh, right? I would love to see them yeah. try. I would also love to see them try. Um, I have a, a few more, but I've also given the last three. Anything else uh, you want to throw forward? Um,
1: no, I think that's... All of my points. I already talked about the thematic stuff with the winter night
0: and yeah, yeah, that's it.
1: That's the end of my notes.
0: Okay. I got a quote here and my head. Oh, my aching head. Mab's little silver earring was as cold as an ice cream truck in Antarctica. All right. Check this out. I'm going to blow your goddamn mind. Okay. Any kind of freezer in Antarctica is going to warm up your food. It's not going to cool it down. That's literally how it works. And I looked it up to make sure. Yes, that's how it works. Um, that was a really dumb one. So I'm going to balance this one with a really dark and look one. Tessa eating Harry. Oh yeah, that was messed up. Was that like not like the lowest point in this series for you? That was that was some
1: some definite horror horror material right there. Yeah.
0: Oh my god. Oh, that was bad. Um, that that may be like. I, that's that's a that's a way that's a new nightmare that I think I'm going to have. That's just okay. horrifying. Okay. Maybe maybe
1: this is something I missed or or maybe this is a dropped plot thread. Like, did we ever find out what the hell Tessa was doing?
0: Yeah. That's how that's that's like how she get well not get literally gets off. I don't think it brings her to orgasm, but I mean like that's what she does to her no, victim. No, no, no. She like,
1: prefers, like No. What she was doing in this book. Why was she oh. acting in oh. this book? Oh like what what why was she trying to stop Nicodemus? Maybe and then she why knew did she show up with to Nicodemus kill Deirdre? at the end?
0: Like Do you think she had an idea of what Nicodemus really planned well, but, for Deirdre?
1: If if so, then why did she show up with Nicodemus at the end? Why was she working with him to oh, attack yeah, she Maggie? Was. Well, yeah, what? Like I, I feel like her motivations were never explained and she just like randomly showed up here and there to be a problem. And, to be a problem. That's a good point. Yeah, like... I
0: can't... I don't know if I can retort. Yeah.
1: I don't think her motivations were ever explained.
0: Hmm. Tis but a scratch. Come on, you pansy. Pansy? Oh, what? You weren't, you weren't quoting the movie? The movie? The Holy Grail. Nicodemus still has it. I sighed. Never mind. <laughs> yeah? that do it for you? That one was okay. That was okay? Was yeah. it a little too much? Do you think it went on for a little too long? Hmm...
1: It's just like a little too on the nose. I feel like that's a, a lot of my issues. Is, is, is like he's just very blunt with with like a he's lot got of to humor Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. I don't know. I mean, I I did get a chuckle when he's like, "Holy Grail," and and uh, and Michael's like, "No, Nicodemus still." has Yeah, it. yeah.
0: I, th- I think that's why it went on for so long because like, he still had to get that yeah. last one in there, right? So it stretched. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know if like I'm starting to wonder if Mr. Butcher here hasn't been influenced by a bunch of other characters uh, lately. Something like Sterling Archer, for example, for anybody who's seen that show. This whole facetious smart-ass shtick is pure comedy gold. And I I don't think, no matter the character, I'm ever going to get sick of it. I love it. Mm, Okay. But Okay. Um, One prediction, formal prediction before we go into our favorite scenes. It's an actual prediction I have. I'm going to be specific with this one. Our opening with Harry doing nothing but morning cardio through hallways filled with demons and other monsters. I think Harry's gonna get desperate enough in the struggle ahead against perhaps the outsiders which is what I imagine to unleash all of these monsters on the ultimate threat which you know like like they these are these are bad these are terrible terrible beings but I don't think they are equal to the world slash the universe potentially ending altogether. Level bad. I think he's going to sum up the literal scariest army anyone has ever conceived in a moment of desperation, and he's going to fight the odd, like the outsiders, in the end. Because you got to remember, no matter how bad fallen angels in in skinwalkers are, if they can, and whatever's worse than they are, if they want to continue existing, they need to also fend off the outsiders. So that's where I see this going. You know, letting them all roam free is still preferable to everything simply ending. So I think that's going to be a a big okay. epic scene in the future. All right. All right.
1: Well, I already have my official prediction. Oh, yeah. Uh, with Murphy. I do did. I'm not going to make a prediction of, like, which book she's going to die in. I just, I feel like she's marked for death at this point. And I, it wouldn't, like, it's not going to surprise me if it happens in Peace Talks. It's not going to surprise me if it happens in, like, the last book in the series, As Yet Unwritten she's marked for death. I don't yeah. think she's going to last to the end of the series, though. Like, I, I really think now that she and Harry are together, this is just how these things go. When when an author draws out a relationship that long...
0: Oh, God, it was so long.
1: Like, there's... <laughs> it, It becomes difficult to have that become a successful relationship in terms of making the rest of the narrative work with those two characters. Because, like it's going to get boring. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm not sure I'm not sure Butcher is prepared to spend the time and effort on establishing a domestic conflict between Harry and Murphy in the midst of what is clearly ramping up toward like the conclusion of a of an epic fantasy series. So, I think she's going to die soon.
0: Mm, it's a solid prediction you've you've definitely swayed me i didn't even consider it really i just thought like her crippling was going to be enough to change her character and do something towards the end but you're right i can you've absolutely convinced me those signs are all there <laughs> i yeah. i'm 94 yeah. percent on board with that yeah okay not that i want it to happen it's going to break my heart when it does right. <laughs> um i'm right. ready to go into our favorite scenes are you yeah let's do it okay let's start with um, an honorable mention Sure, and I have an honorable mention as well. Sweet, sweet. This is a moment I noticed when I wrote down on a bit of a reread. I was back at work, and I didn't want to go on to Peace Talks yet because, in case you weren't aware, Drew, Peace Talks is actually one of the shortest books in the series, I think. Um, yes. I knew I was going to yeah. just fly through it in like a day, maybe day and a half at the welding shop, so I actually went and just reread this book in, sever- in sections, and I have came across something since I was on a reread. I came across something at the end of Chapter mm. 33 that reads entirely different the second time around nicodemus tells michael something along the lines of like uh you know cheer up bro you're gonna be millions of dollars richer feel me and michael's like nah bro i've got a family that makes me richer than you can imagine but i don't expect you to understand that and nicodemus gives him an odd sort of look in this moment this totally void of expression odd very distinctly described odd look and i wrote down that moment and said the first time around i wrote oh my god i bet he's got more family that we don't know about doesn't he But then we saw what happened with Deirdre and that gives this moment an entirely new impact because Michael is in the moment here, accusing Nicodemus of not understanding family when Nicodemus himself and only only Nicodemus knows that he's minutes away from sacrificing the only family he has left. That is heavy, heavy on a reread when you see little things like that pop up. Yeah, yeah. So Thanks. But my sorry, your honorable mention. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. My honorable mention is, uh, Harry's conversation with Uriel at the end. And, uh, and this is, this is when Harry, you know, says, seriously, there might be some kind of copyright infringement going on yeah. that, that scene. <laughs> uh, and Uriel says, I must admit, I never foresaw that particular form of faith being expressed under my purview. Belief in a freaking movie. I asked him belief in a story. Uriel said of good confronting evil, of light overcoming darkness, of love transcending hate. He tilted his head. Isn't that where all faith begins? I grunted and thought about it. Huh. Uriel smiled. A lot of Star Wars fans out there, I noted. Maybe more Star Wars fans than Catholics. I liked the music, he said. <laughs> um. So, in and of itself, that's a great moment. It is. But, but specifically, Uriel's mini mini explanation there, you know, of good confronting evil, light overcoming darkness, love transcending hate. Um this brought me back to Matthew Stover and his novelization of Revenge of the Sith. Oh, did it? Uh where where like, you know, there's a lot of expanded universe lore out there. And there's a lot of variety in it. And and I think that's a good thing. I think one of the things that makes the Star Wars expanded universe so great is that It is an expanded universe. You can tell all kinds of stories about all kinds of people with all kinds of morals and themes and commentary and whatever. But Matthew Stover, when he writes Star Wars, gets to the heart of what made the original Star Wars movies such a hit. And these themes are it. And especially in that Revenge of the Sith novelization, Stover does such a great job of Elucidating those feelings, and reading this little quote from Uriel brought back those memories of those feelings for me, and I was like, that was that was great.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's something about the head tilt in Uriel there when he's just like these ah. He's, uh, he's there. There's something so surreal in every one of our conversations with this angel in particular, and I loved mm-hmm. the, the the role that he took after he had lost, not lost, but had given his grace and how he was still so willing and just didn't understand that he needs to hang back, you know, Uh Uriel was, I wasn't expecting to see Uriel take such a character portion of this, not yeah. such a character portion, there's still a lot more going on around it, but still to take a character portion of this book was cool. Nice. Yeah. So. All right. Your third favorite. My third favorite. And I may step on your toes with this one. Uriel healing Michael just as Butters also shows up with Amarachius. That combination of those two happening right there was so satisfying. I was right there with half the readers, I'm sure, going, oh, what now, Nicodemus? Bring it, you shadow tentacled bitch ass. You yeah. know, it was good. Sorry, I've been nice. playing a lot of Halo today, you can tell.
1: Oh, I I cannot wait to get to Infinite. I've had so much on my plate, and I, yeah. I just just have not had the time and I'm not going to have the time at least for a few more days. Cause I have to read peace
0: talks. Sox, yeah. I'm at about 20 hours the, way the game. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. Uh, but we're, we're probably going to take a little bit of a break around Christmas time. So, so that'll give me, give me time yeah. to enjoy my life instead of just reading constantly, which is what <laughs> I've been doing for the last month and a half.
0: Hell yeah, dude. Um, not that.
1: but yeah, my, my third favorite scene, uh, Harry and Maggie. She looked at my face searchingly for a moment and then said in a tiny voice, Do you want to be my dad?
0: Okay. Alright. I'm okay. I'm not gonna lie. I thought about this scene, but then I thought I had a horrifying moment before we started thinking, oh no, I'm about to spoil a part of Peace Talks for him. So I didn't do it. Okay. Oh, I'm so okay. glad that happened in this book. Alright, yeah, that was so good. That oh hands down that would be in my mentions yeah all right number two asher versus the salamander and hades fire not only am i totally a sucker for new and badass characters like asher but everything's sort of falling to pieces and the nicodemus having to step in and throw down with the salamander himself just all around on a super hyped for spectacle feeling here like this there's always this amazing moment when you see an antagonist of the might of nicodemus have to come to the rescue of somebody to see that kind of beast swinging on your side for once what the hell it's just it's a very very cool scene so objectively Mm -hmm. i just needed to put that one in here i feel like an idiot bringing that one up after the emotional wreck not emotional wreck but emotional rip that the scene was that you had just mentioned with with maggie but yeah that one is on there too
1: yeah no you're right though like there is something just like satisfying about seeing, you know. No matter the story, you know, you, your your antagonists have to be intimidating. They have to be threatening. And then when you when you get them working with the good guys, it's just satisfying. Like, uh, for instance, the Rune Lords. Uh, oh. Moments where Raja Ten has to fight. Yeah. basically on the same side as the heroes and you're like oh hell yeah you know like it, it, there's just there's just something like almost
0: this catharsis uh in scenes like that there's so. a lot of that in uh the the dragon ball universe too specifically in for me oh. in, in super there's a lot of that with goku and frieza oh my oh, yeah. god it's so so oh, good yeah. But I shouldn't mention Dragon Ball because no, none of the Dragon Ball fans can ever admit that Super is anything besides horrible. So, but um uh, <laughs> triggered some people, I imagine. But uh, okay, right. my f- favorite scene. Uh, my second favorite. Oh, sorry. I just yeah. Um,
1: go ahead. Uh, Harry has a chat with Hades. <laughs> yeah, I liked that. Uh, again, it was one of those one of those moments that felt very true to the genre of heist movies where. You know, like again in Ocean's Eleven, there's a moment where Danny Ocean has to talk with uh oh dang it, what's his name? The casino
0: owner. Man, I oh, really do oh, need uh, to uh, Tony Bennett, something like that. Not Tony yeah, Bennett, um T- Benedict. Benedict. Benedict, yeah. That's it. Um, Tony Bennett's a singer, sorry. Yeah, uh,
1: Yeah, like where How where you, you have this like moment of like surreal socialization with the guy you're trying to rob. Um, obviously the tone of this scene is a little different from that, the tone in that one, uh, in Ocean's 11, but it's the same type of thing. Like this is another one of those story beats that kind of just like has to happen, uh, for, for like a good heist story. So I, I liked that. I enjoyed that. scene. That was a very
0: good one. That was a very good one. Damn. I think actually, if I had properly remembered the events of the story and not had gotten them confused with peace, some of them in peace talks, I probably would have included, uh, harry and 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 maggie here with you want to be my dad but i feel like now this one is this one i'm about to bring up is objectively just has to be the best scene in the book and so i feel like we're going to agree on the same scene here tell me if i'm right michael carpenter being michael carpenter outside the gates of hades when it's revealed that blood needs to be spilled is that yours as well uh it was not mine as well no okay so i can just go okay sweet this moment of stare down an absolute unwavering nerve as Michael refuses to even consider backing down. I've, I've said he, he's he's frustrated me on occasion with a few of his choices, <clears throat> you know. But it, these are moments. There are moments like this where he was. Michael is absolutely nothing but Michael, and it is so incredibly satisfying, um, especially in the first read. Here, I'm really scared for our newer members. I'm thinking, uh-oh, Velmont or Asher are, are obviously our least important characters. They're going to be killed here and yeah. Michael's gonna obviously have to sacrifice himself or do something here but Michael just stares Nicodemus down not an instant of hesitation he draws Amarachius and he's just like almighty God as my witness and as he gives me grace if you harm that woman I will strike you down black and white very direct zero room for interpretation or moral wriggling his gravity and his unrelenting commitment to his morals are just f-ing badass so Big fist yeah. pump moment there for Rob. Uh,
1: for sure. For sure. Okay. Uh, so my your favorite? my favorite scene was the scene where Fiddlacius is broken and Michael is restored. Um, oh, yeah. I, I thought like just on a pure spectacle level, that scene was incredible. Um like that was just great action. Uh and then on a character level as well, the the satisfaction in seeing Michael restored. And stepping up to the plate once again, just great, just pure excitement.
0: I thought you were going to say uh, it was actually a moment, maybe like a minute before that, when Michael said, you are going to let them go, because if you do, I will walk beyond this gate. And he was ready. Uh, He absolutely was ready to sacrifice That's part of the sequence. Uh, that's why it was
1: so... entire sequence there outside you know on the threshold of the carpenter property yeah was just so good
0: the payoff uh, I, because of the context. so i um
1: i sent a, a message to uh one of our listeners um yeah i've been chatting with him uh, he, he was just uh on our black tongue thief episode uh, as a special guest and uh and so i've been chatting with him about dresden files a little bit and i after i read that i messaged him i said i literally do not care what happens in the rest of this book the scene outside of the carpenter's house, with the destruction of Fidelacius and Michael taking up the mantle of a knight again, is the best in the book. Might be the best scene in the whole series.
0: <laughs> wow, there's a scene that I—I'm I, not—I'm gonna shut up. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's very, very good. Hell yes, I'm ready for the final draft. How about you, my friend? I am as well. What okay. are you drinking, Rob? I'm really quickly gonna send you a picture of the beer that I drank because I drank it earlier today when I was actually doing some chores. And I uh I think I think I disposed without even thinking I did dispose of the can. But I actually bought a couple of cans the last time I went and I featured one on our last episode that was uh dedicated to Harry and all of his uh, new friends there on the island called so many friends. This one, oh, I can't find the picture. I'm just gonna explain. It. I'll send you the picture afterwards for linking reasons. This one here, though, this week's final draft. Uh, it's dedicated to a moral conflict on Harry's part. This is also from Collective Arts, who I've featured many, many times. They have a new one yes. here. Yes, very nice. As the winter mantle is taking its toll on Harry, and he, it keeps driving him to baser and more animalistic instincts. Obviously, he's Harry's given lots of reason to doubt himself and his ability to be the man not just the force but the man that his friends and that the world needs. This goes more specifically to a, a, a few of his in you know interactions with Michael where we get to see that his own best friend can see that Harry is not capable of becoming the creature he fears he can become. It's a New England style double IPA like I said it's from Collective Arts that I featured before. This one's called Good Monster. Oh, nice. And as far I as the like IPA it. goes, yeah, thank you. I, th- I thought I'd n- I nailed that one. It's pretty standard. As far as IPAs go, I'm not a particularly, you know, um, qualified person to be talking about distinctions amongst beers here. This is pretty strong. It 8% ABV, pretty normal taste and bitterness with the citrus that I'm also expecting with my limited palate. But it was a decent brew, you know? And I saw that name and I saw Good Monster and I went, okay, Harry Dresden. That is 100% his issue right now at this point in the series. So I had to bring that one on here. So, Excellent. Yeah, and I'll try to find it and send it to you while you uh tell us what the heck you're drinking. Yeah, well I am also drinking an
1: IPA. Uh and I do not know what the ABV is on this. There I cannot find it listed on the can. Uh but this is an IPA from Wren House Brewing in Prescott, Arizona. Um Ren House is a pretty pretty well regarded brewery, um not like not big time, but they've they've uh they've been doing a lot of collaborations with Colorado breweries lately, so I've been trying a lot more of their stuff. They're they're pretty solid, um, and this IPA is good. Uh, but this one goes out to our favorite um, British Demon Summoner. Oh, no. It is called Spellbinder.
0: Hey! Right. right. <laughs> That's good. That's very good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Alright.
1: So, I <laughs> think that brings us to the End of our coverage of skin game. Nice and efficient today. Uh, this has today. been episode 149 of the. Inking oh my God. Podcast. Has it really. And I, and I just realized, um, black tongue thief, which I've already recorded is going to be 150. So nice. Very uh, nice. Yeah. Recorded a little out of order from, from the release. Uh, but stay tuned for that next week. Uh, black tongue thief by Christopher Buellman, Uh, really fun. Uh, um you know adventure pseudo grimdark pseudo horror fantasy story uh and and I am not a an audiobook listener but I did end up listening to about half of the book uh because we had had a road trip out to Utah and and I gotta say uh the author himself does the audiobook and he does a great job. No kidding. So nice check that out. As always if you want to support the show uh check Look us up on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Get access to all of the perks there. And uh, as always, I've been your host, Drew McCaffrey. And with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone.